0: Who has loved our, our servanthood theme that we've been tracking with for the last month? Awesome. Yeah, it's been great. We've, it wasn't even supposed to be a theme, actually. We just ended up, it kind of fell into place. It was supposed to be like one message Neville was supposed to do, and we ended up doing it for a month. So it was great. Are you eating my chocolates on the front row? Oh. All right. The reason there is even a message this morning is because Caitlin Floyd is here. She's back in the house. Is anyone excited about that? Not for good, just literally until this afternoon. But I'm excited because she, Paul has been away all week and he's away all this week. And so. I, um, I I had my nanny here from Thursday until today, so she is the reason we even I even have anything to say. She's been changing my kids' nappies and feeding them and doing everything, so God bless you. You can eat my chocolates. But as I was saying, um, we have, in honor of Nevin Sue going away, we've decided to launch a new theme today on Mission Sunday, and we're going to be tracking with that for the next six weeks or so. We'll just see what happens. Um, but Paul came up with the name of this theme, and it's called We Can Be Heroes, not based on the documentary (laughs) or the TV show. But um, he always comes up with like the catchy theme names and things like that. But um, for the next six weeks, and I'm really excited to uh, launch off on this theme, we're going to look at being not just saved but called. We're going to talk about the calling of God on our lives. And We Can Be Heroes is just a play on um, Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith. And um, we're going to look at uh, these people... Who, who were not just saved, but in their generation, they were called. They were called and they changed their world. Amen. And so um, for me personally... Um uh, Bible students might know that in the list of heroes in Hebrews 11, it it actually lists uh, the major judges from the book of Judges. Have you ever noticed that? In the book of Judges, there's six major judges and six minor ones. And so for me, uh, over the next six weeks or so, I'm going to work through the book of Judges. We're going to do it together. Is that okay? We're going to look at six major people from the book of Judges who were saviour figures and uh, ultimately foreshadows of Jesus Christ in the generation. We're going to look at how they were called and, and what it looked like, and it's going to be fun. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> we're pumped with that. And so for the whole key scripture that undergirds this theme uh, that we're going to do is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, and it says this. I love this scripture. I get excited about this scripture. It says, We can only keep on going after all by the power of God who first saved us. Everyone say saved us. And then called us. Yes, didn't even need the prompting, Matthias. He saved us and then he called us to his holy work. We had nothing to do with it. It was all his idea, a gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. Turn to your neighbor and say, You got a job to do. We've been saved to fulfill an assignment in advance. I don't think it's possible to read a scripture like that and think that you do not matter. I don't think it's possible to read a scripture like that and think that you hold no responsibility in the kingdom, that your contribution doesn't count. Uh, It's impossible for me to read that and remain passive. I feel like something as incredible as that, that Jesus Christ has prepared works for us to do in advance before we knew Him, He knew us, and He's prepared as a gift for us. He's called us to good works. I just get excited about that, and I feel like a scripture like that demands a response. It demands a response. And so I love that um, the first message of this series starts on a mission Sunday. I love that. I think it's a God setup. It's just not a coincidence because if I could articulate the calling of God for the church, missions, one word, missions, that's it. That's who we are. That's what we're called to do, missions. That's it. So we're going to talk about that. And I could just, I could just drop the mic and walk away with that, right? But we're, we're not going to do that. We're going to elaborate a little bit more. All right, so... I should probably pray. That's always a good thing. Would you pray with me this morning? Let's like scrap the word together. Can we do it together today? Praise the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is alive and powerful and active and it's here and it does what only you can do. And we just want to receive this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you would empower us and that you would release us into the purposes which you have called us in advance to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, awesome. Okay, people look at me weird when I say that one of my favorite books of the Bible is Judges, because it's kind of the one of the books that everyone avoids. You know what I'm talking about, like Leviticus and Numbers, the books that we sort of skate around or we just don't go to for our daily devotions because it feels uncomfortable but I love the book of Judges. I find it fascinating and compelling and and if you read it it's just brilliantly written. It's brilliantly written and structured and we've chatted a little bit about this before. It sort of works in spirals and every generation God raises up a saviour figure or a judge and who leads them into salvation but when they die like it just it, it turns back into chaos and brokenness. And so God has to raise up another one for the next generation. And when he dies, he has to raise up another one. And it's like this, this underlying message that we need a savior figure that never dies. We need a saviour figure that stays alive forever and we have that in Christ Jesus and I'm not preaching about that this morning but it's just really fun to think about. I just see Jesus from the beginning of the book to the end even when it gets really messed up. It's like we just need Jesus. So um, we're going to look at, not today we're going to look at the first judge called Othniel and it's interesting because um, as the, the accounts of the judges they, they start with a little bit of information, but as you go, you get a little bit more about the next one and you get a little bit more about the next one and their accounts get more colourful and detailed and, and flawed, okay? And so you start off with like a perfect judge like Othniel and by the time you get to Samson, it is just messed up and he's probably the most relatable judge for us because he's so flawed, right? It's just the structure of it is bringing us to this place where we're like, God can use anyone... It's Jesus in us. Does that make sense? So basically, the further along we go, it's just going to get more interesting, is all I'm saying. But today, we start off with the most boring one, is uh, Othniel. Yep. <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> apparently, nobody preaches. Neville told me. Apparently, nobody preaches on Othniel, because there's such little information about him. But of course, Neville has preached on Othniel, right? Because it's Nev. Um, <laughs> Actually, I was like, "Do you have any notes on Judges?" Neb? And he's like, "Yeah, I've got 24 weeks. Actually, that's my second longest series." And I was like, oh, "Okay." So um, I I only read about 100,000 words of research for this, but anyway. So, Othniel um, <laughs> is what we call the white knight judge. He's the perfect. He's the perfect one out of the entire book. He's the model savior figure. He's the prototype, if you like, of all the judges that are going to come. All right. So much so that actually. Jewish rabbis ranked him first in the book of Judges, not because of chronological order. It's not necessarily written in chronological order. Some of them ruled at the same time, but they ranked him first because of his greatness and his preeminence. And Song of Songs 4 verse 7 is actually, they apply it to him, where it says, there is no flaw in you. Interesting. And here's the best part. Othniel in Hebrew means lion, and he is literally from the tribe of Judah. So in this story today, we're going to look at the lion from the tribe of Judah. But if you read his account, the star of his story isn't actually Othniel. It's his bride, Aksa. All right, so we're going to begin the story in Judges chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you're more than welcome to open up there. I don't have any slides. I never do slides. But okay, so the story begins... Um, as the father Caleb, Caleb is the father figure in this story and he promises his daughter Aksa as a prize to whoever can conquer this unconquerable city. It's a city called Kiriath Sefer and in the Hebrew that just means book or book world, interesting name. And so he says, Whoever conquers this unconquerable city will win my daughter Aksa as a prize. Okay? And so Othniel steps up to the plate. He, he does what no one else can do, and he conquers the city. Interestingly, he renames it Debeah, which in Hebrew is Holy of Holies. Okay? Takes a city called Book and renames it Presence of God. But anyway, um, as he wins Aksa as his bride I'm not even talking about that this morning Nix, but I just had to say it because I just love the underlying themes in the scripture but um, so he, he marries Aksa as his prize and then they, they receive the inheritance it's otherwise known as a wedding dowry in that culture they received the inheritance and the inheritance was a big desert land called the Negev the Negev desert alright so here's where the storyline gets interesting though so interesting that it's actually repeated elsewhere in the Bible, in Joshua 15. Whenever the Bible repeats something, it's just the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to pay attention to this right here, okay? So it's like, I'm going to repeat it so you don't miss it. And um, it's Aksa's actions that seem to be of great importance here. So I want us to pay attention. It's in Chap- Judges chapter 1, verse 14. It says, when Aksa married Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. As she got down off her donkey, Caleb asked her, interesting, she wanted Othniel to do it, but she just ended up doing it, ended up having to do it. And then um, Caleb, her father, says to her, What's the matter? And she says, Let me have another gift. You have already given me land in the Negev. Now please give me springs of water too. So Caleb gave her the upper and the lower springs. She takes the initiative and she asks. See, she had the inheritance but she needed water to use the inheritance. Does that make sense? I'm sure she could see the potential in that big piece of desert land, you know, the vision and the dream and what she wanted to do with it and and farm it and 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 cause it to be productive and, and build a community within it. But, but it was useless and literally unusable without the springs of water. You can't do anything with a piece of desert land without the springs of water. Where there's water, there's life. Is that making sense? So... It was barren and unproductive and ineffective unless she had a spring of water. She asked for the springs boldly so that she could use what she'd been given. It's, it's, it's the principle of purpose. You can have a purpose for a piece of land, but the purposes will not be brought to life or sustained without the water. There's no use having land without the water. There's no use having a table without food, you know what I'm saying? There's no use having a house if you don't have people to put in it. There's no use having a church building if none of us are in here, right? There's no use having a marriage without love. There's no use having a ministry without the truth. There's no use having a Bible without understanding. There's no use having a calling without the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm trying to say this morning? Aksa knows she's been given everything and nothing at the same time. And so she asks, she asks for that which is going to initiate and sustain what she's been given. And amazingly, she's commended and rewarded for this, for this bold initiative. And that what she has done here and some of us just read the surface of the scripture and we don't realize what she 's done here is radical. It is countercultural. A woman was never to confront a man, let alone ask him for something in this culture, even if it was her own father, which it was, she wasn't to do that. let alone have the audacity to ask for more when she's already been given an inheritance. But this is what Aksa's name means in the Hebrew. It means, it's really interesting, bursting the veil. Isn't that interesting? Bursting the veil. And she literally does that in this moment when she comes to her father. She bursts through the veil of her culture and her status and her dignity. And evidently she got what she asked for. She got more and what she asks for I want you to track with me this morning. She didn't just get the lower springs. She just asked for a spring of water, but if she just got the lower springs, everyone knew that the lower springs could run dry. Because the lower springs, notice how we have the upper and the lower springs, the lower springs rely on another source. But the upper springs is the source. The lower the upper springs would overflow And source all the bodies of water below it. So the upper springs would fill up the lower springs. The lower springs could run dry. But she got the upper and the lower springs, which means she got endless refills. She had an endless resource. She got everything. And it's for this very act of asking for it that she is known in Scripture as being a daughter of faith. And her faith was in fact exposed in the asking and um, I know that was a really long introduction, but I believe that the Holy Spirit wants the church to grab a hold of this picture in this critical hour, in this generation, in this time today. Um, I believe that's why it's recorded more than once. Uh, I, don't, I don't think Aksa asked out of entitlement or selfish ambition. She knew. She knew that she was not given an inheritance to do nothing with it. Is this making sense to people? She comes to her dad and is like, I know you gave me my inheritance. Now I want to use my inheritance. And as the father, the author of the inheritance, I need you to release what only you have the power to release. So I can do what I can do. Okay, let me explain. Your calling, church, individually, collectively, your calling is to the desert. Our calling is to the desert place you know what our job is you know what we're called to do bring life to places where there is no life there's no life in the desert right it's not productive it's barren it's fruitless our job is to go there and to bring life okay so our calling is in the desert all right and some of us live in a lifeless desert all our lives because we haven't taken the initiative to ask for the springs Because it's the springs of the spirit of God that initiate our calling and activate our calling and sustain our callings. And sometimes we find ourselves in a barren place, in a dry place, and we think, I I feel so dry, I must not be called of God. They're called, but I'm not called. But, but, But no, God gives you a desert. He gives you a sphere of influence. He gives you a purpose. He gives you a place so that you would then ask him for the springs. Does that make sense? Because we can switch off. I know some people may have already switched off as I'm talking because they're like, if she's talking about the calling of God, well, that doesn't apply to me. That's not relevant to me. Everybody is called. Everybody is called. But sometimes we get accustomed to, to the desert place, even comfortable in the desert place, and we forget that he gives you a calling and then requires you to depend on him to sustain it. And your calling will remain barren and it will remain fruitless and it will remain ineffective if we do not get undignified enough and bold enough to ask for the springs. And you know what, this morning, you know I'm not talking about being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm alluding to our constant dependence on the f- refreshment of the Spirit of God. I'm alluding to our, our relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-off event, it's a cons- constant flow. Does that make sense? And we won't ask for the springs if we're not thirsty. You know, Jesus uses thirsty people. He, he, you remember from John chapter 4. I just look, love looking at your face because you just smile at me all the time. Thank you. It's so encouraging. You remember from John chapter 4, the woman at the well, she was thirsty. And so Jesus used her to then go and transform her entire region. We're talking about missions today. I wonder how God would use you if you were humble enough to admit that you're thirsty and then bold enough to ask for the springs. Does that make sense? So I've titled this message, Own Your Thirst, which is an interesting one for Mission Sunday. But you can take it up with the boss because I was not going to even preach on this. But sometimes we've just got to own our thirst. Because if we don't recognize our need, our constant need and dependence for the Spirit of God, we'll never receive. And we get confused sometimes. We get confused because Jesus said to us, you'll never be thirsty again, didn't he? But he said, you'll never be thirsty again, not you'll never feel thirsty again. There's actually a difference. It's not actually a sin to be thirsty. Because when, when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, at the end of the book of John, you'll read, when he was hanging on the cross and it said, after it was all done, then he said, I thirst. And you think, how can living water need a drink? How can the, the same voice that spoke out the waters and separated them so we had dry land, how can that same voice say, I thirst? But it's not a sin. He was fulfilling a scripture. He was intentional in what he was doing. He had a purpose. He, he thirsted and, and it's not a sin to be thirsty. You will never be thirsty again, but, but you may feel thirsty again. He knows that we're made from the dust and, and we come from the dust and we get thirsty in the dust of the desert. But... He never said you wouldn't feel thirsty. He just said there'd be endless refills. Does that make sense? It's where you go to get refreshed. It's where you go to get refreshed that determines whether or not you will fulfill the calling of God on your life. Talking about the calling of God in your life, the foundation for that is the Holy Spirit. Your relationship with the Holy Spirit is completely dependent on that. I feel like sometimes I can forget just how needy I really am. We forget how needy we are as we mature as Christians sometimes. But in the economy of God, it is the barren who miraculously conceive. It is the hungry who are filled. It is the thirsty who are satisfied. Is that not right? Is that not scripture? It is the desperate It is those who cry out to the Father, we're desperate for you to work. We're desperate for you to do what only you have the authority to do. Can you release what only you have have the authority to release? But as long as we act like we're completely drenched when we're feeling dry, have you noticed that sometimes in the church we can, we sort of, I don't know, sometimes we make it feel more spiritual if you're not desperate for God. It's like not only the broken only the weak christians need need a refreshment of the holy spirit but not i'm i'm a leader so i'm very full i'm full i'm very self sufficient um i'm like can everyone please pray for me all the time <laughs> all the time I, but sometimes we just have this thing where we're like no no it's not my personality to be needy okay it might not be your personality but it is your design okay because <laughs> just as we are physically designed to constantly need water okay if and water's the only thing that'll do, right? You can't just live your life drinking cordial. You need water and only water. It's the only thing that will hydrate you, okay? And it's like, we, it's not a one-off event. We're not camels. We don't just drink water once and then don't need it anymore. You know, if you're good, it's eight cups a day. But it, it, our physical design is reflective of our spiritual. You don't need the feeling of the Holy Spirit when you get saved and then never again. You don't need to ask anymore. It's fine. Of course, He lives within you, but we're in a constant relationship here we need to constantly be coming to God and bursting into the holy of holies and do you understand what I'm saying we have got to own our thirst this is why I love youth ministry because they are just so desperate for God and they just know it and they're not afraid to express it it's hilarious sometimes I've watched I've watched the same kid respond to five salvation calls at a conference it's hilarious I'm like I think I think you've been saved your whole life and you're still responding to a salvation call. But, but they don't care. They're not into the technicalities. They're just like, I don't know what he said, but I, that's me. I just want more of God. I'm just desperate for God. And I'm like, I'm going to come up the front with you because I just want more of God too. That's why I love young people. They don't care. They're just desperate and they just know their need for God. They're just desperate for God and they're not afraid to express it. They own their thirst. It's a slight generalisation, but seriously, like every youth conference we go to, right, it's the best thing ever. They're just like, more Jesus. I love it. I love it. They're encouraging me. Maybe that's why God said you've got to grow down and not grow up, right? You've got to be more like kids because kids know their dependence. They're not afraid to be needy. Only those who know they need the springs and are desperate enough to own their thirst will really ask. Those who are poor and needy enough, you know, in... Scripture, Isaiah 41 verse 17, Scripture um, paints a picture of God's heart towards the poor and needy. And and his provision for them is pictured in springs. It says, um, The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on the barren heights and springs within the valley. It is the poor and needy that get the springs. Is anyone poor and needy this morning? I totally am. I find it so funny that God gives us a desert knowing we can't make it rain. (laughs) We are so not, I am so not able to be self-sufficient ever, ever. We cannot be self-sufficient. He gives us a desert, but we can't make happen what only God can make happen. Your calling is outside your ability to fulfill it. Did you know that? Hilarious. He does this intentionally. He gave you a desert, he gives you a purpose and a sphere of influence and a calling, and, and then he says he says, "Yeah, I'm aware that you need me to fulfill that calling." He gave you the calling so that you would ask for the springs. He gave you the desert so that you would ask for the springs. He's well aware that you need him. And if you think he can do what you're called to do without him, There's something fundamentally wrong. If you think you can get by by your works alone, by your gifts and your talents and your strategies and your vision alone, there's something fundamentally wrong and that lower spring is going to run dry really soon. You need the Holy Spirit. But God loves us. We try sometimes, don't we? (laughs) Which I'm preaching to myself this morning never believe that I have not been made to live something before I preach it I always have to live it before I preach it every time it's the Lord's discipline for me and I hate it but you know we attempt to live this life coasting along attempting to fulfill our purpose and our calling outside of the power of God you know what I mean listening to the rain but not really getting wet (laughs) I love the sound of rain we're talking about this, me and Caitlin are opposites, she gets depressed with the rain and I get really excited, I'm what, no, I'm what is known as apparently a pluviophile, which um, is a creepy sounding word but um, apparently, and we know this is true because Pinterest told me, um, apparently that's where I do all the research for my sermons, is on Pinterest and Google, I'm kidding, I read books. I'm. I'm t- I, that was a joke. Some of you might be nervous because Neville's not here. It's like, it's heresy. No, I read books. And a lot of them are Neville's books, so it's fine. Um, but so Pinterest told me that a pluviophile is someone who is a lover of rain and finds peace of mind and joy at the sound of rain. That's compl- and then Google confirmed it, so it must be true. But, um, so that is com- that's like a description of my personality. If I, if I were not a surfer, I would move to England because apparently it just rains all the time there. Yeah, I would love it. And I don't understand you people who are like, oh, this is such miserable weather. I'm like, you're crazy. I'm so happy. You know what happens sometimes? This is, this, these are the underlying issues in my marriage with Paul. So sometimes, like we'll be laying in bed at night and um, the dishwasher will go off because he set the dishwasher and it's like, Shh, and I'm like deceived into thinking it's raining. I'll be like, babe, it's raining. And he's like, oh, Sweetie, it's the dishwasher. And this is when I get mad at him because I'm like, if I think it's raining, let me believe that it's raining. Like, leave me to my deception because I was happy for about four seconds before he decided to tell me the truth. I could actually preach a different message on that, couldn't I? But I'm not going to. That's not the point of what I was saying. But I'm like, let me listen to the dishwasher. Let me think it's raining. So apparently, I have no idea why I'm saying this, but apparently I heard this the other day. You can download a rain app to your smartphone and play the sound of rain all night, I'm totally going to do that. And I'll probably sleep better as a person. So I'm going to download the rain app. But the reason I was saying that, was there a reason? Yeah, there was a reason I was saying that. Is because I can play the rain app all night long. I can listen to the rain all night long. And you know what's crazy? I can wake up completely dry. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? I can wake up completely dry. just depends whether I position myself in my snuggly warm bed or outside in the rain you can listen to the sound of rain all night long without experiencing the effects of the rain it's an incredible observation I have I've made I know it's extremely scientific but I want to ask you this morning here's the challenge do you position yourself to receive the rain or observe the rain Do you experience it or do you listen to it? I want to know because we can get addicted to the sound of rain. We can get addicted to the sound of worship, to the sound of praise, to the sound of the gospel, to the sound of the preaching of the word of God and never experience the effects of it. Come on, wasn't that service amazing? That was very creative. That sermon was very well structured. I really enjoyed the style of that preacher. I loved that Energizer Bunny thing he did. It was great and amazing teacher and not sure about this girl she's a little heretical but you know we, we and 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 we can get so focused on observing that we are never really experiencing we get so observational that we are never receiving you know to receive is not a passive word at all it means to pull down or to take possession of it is an action word it is not a passive word two people can come to this church to a church whatever and they can, they can sit in the same service, under the same teaching from the same preacher, and sing the same songs, and listen to the same news slides, and <laughs> hear the same call, And they can leave transformed, and saturated, and drenched, because you're drumming so awesome, Benika, and just challenged, and convicted, and... And, and changed for the better and, the, and another person can come to the same service with the same songs and the same message and leave exactly the same as how they came in. Two people can open the same Bible and one of them can, can receive revelation and encouragement and passion and conviction and, and promises and, and be filled with faith and then another person can open to the same Bible in the same translation to the same chapter, the same scripture and close it feeling just as dry It's when they opened it. Guess what the common denominator is? It's you and me. just depends how we position ourselves. Are we observing or are we experiencing? Do you observe church or do you experience church? Do you observe worship or do you experience it? Do you observe the Holy Spirit or do you experience him? If you find God boring, you probably are that's all I'm saying, if you find, you know, I've been to this church for eight years, God's not boring, I'm just sorry, take it up with him, if you find him boring, and dry, and stale, the problem's not with him, I'm just saying, it's it's probably with you. I've never found this church boring. Oh, this is just my witness. It's my testimony. I've been coming here for eight years. Never found it boring. Never Challenging, yes. Frustrating sometimes. Never found it boring. Never found it dry or stale. Every time I come to church, I got my notebook open. I don't care who's preaching. I don't care if it's Donnie or Laurie or Neville or Sue or Jit. I get a word because I'm like, I'm going to pull down and I'm going to receive today. It helps that you preach awesome messages though, Laurie. It really does. It's not enough to admire God. You have to ask him. God honors initiative, not intention. It doesn't matter how much I want it. You've got to ask. You've got to get desperate. It doesn't matter how much I want it. It matters whether I'm going to burst through the veil. The veil, whatever that is, insecurity, fear, religiosity, comfort, apathy. There's always a veil and you are invited to burst through it. But the initiative... Is yours to do that. You've got to burst through and ask for it. Be bold enough to admit that you don't have it right now, that you feel needy and desperate and drive. God, help me if I don't get desperate before I preach. God, help me. You have no idea how desperate I get before I preach because I know that I know that I know that I know. It does not matter how much effort. You should see my crazy sermon notes. Caitlin saw them. She took a picture and called it a conspiracy theory because it's like this spaghetti of like creative processes and and it doesn't matter how much research I put in it, it doesn't matter how much passion I preach it with, it doesn't matter whether I'm articulate or I stumble over my words, it does not matter. Because I know that only the Spirit of God is going to change you. And I don't have the power to do that. I can't convict you this morning. I can't challenge you. I can't change you or transform you or or anything. I cannot do that. It is the Spirit of God. And so you better believe that I get desperate for him to release on us this morning. But only he has the power to release. Do you want to receive that this morning? Come on. Thanks, Jack. She's pumped. (laughs) boldness begins with desperation did you know that desperation is what makes us bold when it comes to God you know there's another woman in the Bible who was even bolder than Aksa I believe I almost believe this this was not research so this is just my opinion but I almost believe that she Aksa was a foreshadow of her she's she's also commended she's rewarded and her story is so significant that it's repeated three times Luke chapter 8, Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 5 and you know her as the desperate woman, the woman in the crowd or the woman with the blood issue. She hemorrhaged for 12 years, it's a disease called menorrhagia, you you lose so much blood you get dizzy. And she was, she, she, I would say she's the loneliest person in the Bible. Leviticus 15 verse 5 completely burned her. She, she, because of that Levitical law, she was not allowed in the house of God. If she was married, she would have had to move out. She, she was obliged by law if she saw someone and they saw her coming, she was obliged to shout out, unclean. So she wasn't allowed to touch another human. And she was so broke from spending money on counterfeit solutions, the town had offered 11 different bizarre strategies and she tried them all. You know, want to know what one of them was? She had to find a white mule and sift through the droppings and find a, white, uh, a corn kernel. And that was the strategy. Which led me to ask the questions: how much has she sifted through to try and find what she's looking for, right? <laughs> how much junk <laughs> has she sifted through? And then I would ask the question, how? I would ask the same thing of us. Like we, do, we, we think she's crazy for doing that, but we totally do the same thing. We, we, we go to so many different sources knowing that there's only one that will give us what we're looking for. And here's the thing, if we don't recognise our need for the power of God and the spirit of God and the refreshment of the Holy Spirit, we will just totally end up sifting through junk and garbage to try and fulfil our purpose here, our calling. She is the incarnation of poor and needy this morning. And she was so desperate. She was so desperate. It fueled her boldness. She was so bold she broke the book of the law. She broke the law. It's she, Jesus, you remember the story? Jesus is on his way to heal somebody else actually. And the crowd are jostling around him and they're crowded around him and she, she has the audacity to push through the crowd and just seize his cloak. He's actually, the part of the garment that she seized Oh, touched actually was the tussle of his prayer shawl. We know it as the wing of his garment. But she saw the upper springs, the overflow of life itself and she chased him down. She recognised the spirit of God wrapped in humanity and, and, and probably... Sandals and, and so she seized her opportunity and she took the initiative and she touches the tassel of the pressure. That that particular part of the garment was representative of the promises and commandments of God. And so when she touches it and she takes her opportunity, she receives her healing. She literally lays hold of the promises of God and receives. It's incredible. She literally lays hold of the promises of God and we see this greater Aksa bursting through the veil is what she's doing here. Do you pick that up? She's bursting through the veil of the law and the regulations and religion and the condemnation and criticism of the crowd into the presence of the actual lion from the tribe of Judah. It's not a foreshadow. He's the real deal. And she bursts through the veil. I love scripture. It's so amazing. And, and you remember Othniel? Let me just like, back, like track us back to the beginning of the story here. Othniel did the work and paid the price and fought the battle to earn the inheritance from Caleb. Do you remember that? He's, he's the one who conquered the city to earn the inheritance, to win it. But it was Aksa who did the asking to use the inheritance. So one did the work so that the other could receive Jesus took a city called Book, and uh, Othniel took a city called Book and renamed it Holy of Holies, Spirit of God, and here we see Jesus, the true lion, has conquered the book of the law that landed us in the grave. He did the work, he made the sacrifice, he fought the battle, so that we could receive the inheritance. Do we see that this morning? Does that make sense? See, inheritance is God's initiative, but receiving is your initiative. Does that make sense this morning? And like this woman in the crowd, don't you love how like Aksa in Judges 1 is so like rich and well to do and together and this woman is completely broke and needy like it's an oxymoron. It's just completely opposite. He will never, ever, ever turn away the poor and needy. I don't care whether you smell like $500 Chanel this morning or cigarettes. It is the poor and needy who receive and everybody is poor and needy. I don't care what background you come from. Everyone needs the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Do you see that this morning? And this daughter of faith laid hold of the living springs. And Jesus is hilarious. He wants to know who touched him, as if he doesn't know who touched him. But he's like, no, come on, own your thirst. Come forward, come own your thirst. And the the disciples, you know, aren't all together. And they're like, well, ha. What do you mean, who touched you? We know the part of the story, right? Where they're like, oh, there's dozens have touched you, Jesus. Everyone's around you, jostling and crowding around you. What do you mean, who touched you? But God knows the difference between superficial jostling and someone genuinely reaching out in faith. And to that, he will respond always. And so she comes forward trembling. She's, and she tells him the whole story. She's like... And then he turns to her, and this is the best part. This is the best part. He gives her the same description as Aksa. He calls her daughter of faith. Daughter, he says, Mark chapter 5, verse 34, he says, Daughter, you took her. You have no idea how incredible and radical it is that he called her daughter. It's a. Her lifestyle, she was not a daughter, but he roars as the lion. Her identity over her it probably sounded like at a regular decibel. It was probably like a gentle voice, but it would have sounded like a roar between her two ears because of everything she'd gone through and how unqualified and incompetent she would have felt. And he calls her daughter. And in this culture, in this Jewish culture, that's an identity. It's a calling and it's a legacy, which is the purpose and you know, she's the only person in the whole Bible to be given this name directly by Jesus. We have a calling. She wanted a healing, but he gave her a calling. She wanted the lower springs. She wanted a one-off healing so she could just get by and, and survive with life and just continue on. But he wanted more for her. He wanted to give her the upper and the lower springs. He wanted to give her the endless supply. So good. So good. I love the Bible. We all have a calling and a purpose and an inheritance, but it is outside our power and ability to fulfill it. And our relationship with the Holy Spirit is not a one-off event. It is a constant overflow, a constant relationship, and a constant need. It was her need that singled her out from the jostling crowd. You know, sometimes we come to church and we, we jo- oh, come to God or whatever you want to say, and we jostle and we crowd. We jostle and we sort of do whatever the crowd is doing or whatever and we, ha- we, can, we can get into this habit of crowding around the springs but never taking a drink for ourselves. Is that relating to anyone in here? And we can come so close, we can even touch the springs but not really touch the springs. Did you notice in this story that the people were crowded around the literal living word but never truly touched him? They were like touching him, jostling, but they never touched him and received the power or the healing or the anointing that she did. I wonder what the difference is. Come on, we do this. How many of us inspect and marvel and observe the the teaching of the Word of God? But we never touch the Scriptures in faith and receive our promises and the power of God. We do this. We we jostle around the Word, but we don't lay hold of it sometimes. How many of us would rather believe that we're fine, we're good, we're self-sufficient, we're full, than lay hold of the living Word in desperation, the humility and the desperation of the woman? afforded her not just healing but a calling in church we got to burst the veil the inheritance has been given it's been paid for but we got to burst the veil it is our name we are the daughter of faith you know we're the daughter of faith we are the daughter in this story we are the bride of Christ we are the church we got to burst the veil to burst means to rip apart violently it's not a gentle word (laughs) <laughs> it's not going to be easy, but we've got to burst through and rip through all the pretense and all that is inaccessible and impersonal and, and religious and, and burst into the holy of holies, the presence of God. we got to receive. We've got to stop observing. We've got to receive. We've got to burst through. Never let worship be a 25-minute segment of songs on a Sunday morning, Please. Don't let it be that it is a posture of the heart that is bursting through into the presence of the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what worship is. We need to get this. If we want to fulfill our calling as the church of Jesus Christ, as an individual and and collectively because the church is called to bring life in the desert our calling is both initiated and sustained by the power of the holy spirit it is imperative that every single one of us has a powerful and constant dependence with the spirit of god you know even jesus ministry didn't start till he was baptized in the springs of water and then the holy spirit came down remember in the in the shape of a dove i think it's worth mentioning that the dove was reserved as a sacrifice for the poorest of poor in that sacrificial system. The provision for the poor was the dove. The provision for the poor is the spirit of God. Even the book of Acts, you know it's interesting? You read the book of Acts. If ever there was a book on the calling of the church, am I right? If ever there was a book on missions, it would be the Acts of the Apostles, right? The book of Acts, we love it. And um, interestingly, though, it's called Acts of the Apostles, but the characters change from beginning to end. It's, you know, stories involving many different people. So some scholars have now decided to change the name from the Acts of the Apostles to Acts of the Holy Spirit, because he is the only person there always consistently in every story from beginning to end. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And if we want to look like the book of Acts, which we should, we sing it. A miracle can happen now. If we want to look like the book of Acts, we better cry out for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite the musicians up, I think. Why not? Jump up here. We better cry out in desperation for God to pour out because here's the thing. We will not see salvation spring up from the earth until there is rain pouring down upon it. And I don't know about you, but I want the rain to fill up this spring. I want to be a spring in the desert. That's what I want to be. I want to be a source of life for people who are thirsty because that's what I'm called to be. I need it to rain because everybody out there is thirsty and everybody in here is thirsty. Did you know that being thirsty and worship is not a christian thing and it's not a non-christian thing it's just a humanity thing everybody thirsts and everybody worships the question is what are they worshiping oh who are they worshiping what are they what wells are they going to to get their soul satisfied it's a humanity thing everybody's thirsty and i want them to come to the overflowing free refills the only thing that will ever satisfy right the one that will eternally satisfy the one that offers free roofles and doesn't make you pay for it that's our well you know when god gave me this message i didn't want to preach it cuz cuz it's mission sunday and and i love preaching on mission sunday cuz i get to talk about justice and and you know others and look outwardly and and i love that and then i thought, I felt i was like god is this a little intros- introspective like it feels like it's about us and, and i want it to be about others i want it to be about them and and he sort of like rebukes me a little bit. And he does that a lot, all the time. <laughs> it's fun. Um, and so he said, he said, you don't understand. You, need, you people need to learn to ask. Because if you learn to ask, I will give you the nations. Psalm 2 verse 8 says, ask me. Ask me and I will, oh, I love this scripture. It says, ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth, your possession. The inheritance is people. Our promise is people. Our calling is people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It's not spiritual gifts. It's not buildings. It's not ministries. They put legs on the mission of the church. But our inheritance is people. It's all about people. And it it, it is our desperation for people. That will compel us to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to pour out. I believe that the first drops of the outpouring that He has promised us will come as tears down our cheeks. Is that challenging for us? The downpour will start down our cheeks, is what I think. No one is in more severe a drought than the one who cannot remember the last time they cried tears for a broken world. The one who doesn't care about people. And we're all in that boat at some point or another, aren't we? That's true drought. When you don't care about people, when you don't care about the lost and the captive and the broken, to not need God to do it, because only God can save, right? If we don't care, we don't need God. We don't need His Holy Spirit to pour out if we don't care about people. That's why we're here. It's because of people. People. That's why we exist. We're not an organisation. We're not an education system. We just exist for people. We exist to be springs in the desert. And, and what if we had Ux's courage this morning if we're in that place to ask God, bring back my tears, bring back my latter-day tears, bring back my tears for the lost and for the broken And for the captive, those who are dying and in prison, bring back those, bring back my passion, Jesus, for what you are passionate about because those who cry out for the downpour will get it. He'll pour out on thirsty souls. It's the daughter of faith that says, what my eyes have seen of God and my generation is not enough. What my eyes have seen, my eyes are feeling dry. What my eyes have seen of people being saved is not enough. What my eyes have seen of the power of the Holy Spirit is not enough because I know my Father and I know that there's more. Does anyone agree with me this morning? we got to ask and He will give us the nations as an inheritance. We're going to see people saved in our generation. Do you believe that? Do you want that? We're going to see people saved. We're going to see captives set free. We're going to see miracles happening. But you know, we can't sing, your kingdom come, your will be done, until we sing, Spirit of God, fall fresh on us, we need your presence. We can't sing, we can't sing your kingdom come, until we sing, fall fresh on us. We're not waiting on a move of God, We, we are the move of God, you realize that? When you stand,